Then he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done, uh, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of the heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and and anyone to whom whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw saw it, They said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there, and he entered his synagogue, entered their synagogue. And a man was there with, their, with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how, they, how to destroy him. This is the word of God. Hi everyone. Good, good. Sorry, I was going to say good morning. I, I can't help it. I just the first word that comes out of my mouth is always morning when I have to speak. Uh, it's just habit. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here. I'm very sorry. After that introduction, I don't think I can live up to it. Uh, but I'm going to do my best this morning to bring you God's word. Uh, to share from this passage that we just read together. I'm going to focus on the central section of it, the end of chapter 11. It's kind of a pivotal moment within uh, the gospel, actually, the gospel of Matthew. Up to that point, we see Jesus kind of starting his ministry. 
uh, introducing people to who he's claiming to be, the Son of God, and how people are to respond to him. And we see him kind of, uh, kind of restating a lot of stuff that comes up in the Old Testament. But then we see this point of there being some conflict between him and his opponents, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other parties that didn't like the attention that he was getting, and they started to oppose him. But some people that he says God had revealed to some people that he is the Son of God, and they were drawn to him. And to these people, to these people that recognize who Jesus is, he draws them and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And then you see going on from here, it talks, goes on to talk about the Sabbath. Sabbath was this Jewish principle of rest on the Saturday. And so Jesus is this connection between come to Jesus and he'll give you rest and then going on to seem to to break some of the Jewish Sabbath laws is very interesting. And this is what we're going to come to and look at this morning. We're going to come and look at the rest of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't promise just to be, just to kind of give us some useful techniques and advice how we can find rest. He promises to be more than that. He promises to be our rest. So I'd love to pray for us because ultimately I believe it's not about the words that I speak. Uh, It's about what God does in our hearts. So I invite you to pray for yourself right now, to pray for one another, to pray for me as I speak, that the Holy Spirit may come right now and work through this moment in our hearts to, to bring us this rest, to bring us this transformation that we all know deep down that we do need. So let us pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come, to walk among us, to, to live a life, to, to show us the way. And I invite you to come once again, to send your Holy Spirit on us now as we look at your word, as we desire to know you, to know you more, and to know this rest that you promised to bring us. Come, bring these words to life for us now change us, transform us, challenge us. Do more than we can ask or imagine right now as we come and desire to know your word and to apply it. Help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers. Give us the grace to hear and give us the will to do. Amen. So I just wanted to start off by asking you all a question. I have met some of you before but not many of you, just want to ask you the question, how are you? It's always difficult when you're going to a new place that you've never been to before to, to speak to them because one of the great things about being a pastor or a preacher is that often you're preaching to the people that you know. You understand their lives, you understand their struggles, you understand uh, kind of the context into which you're speaking. You know kind of the effect that your words are going to have and or what you want them to have. So how are you? How do you answer this question? Who hearted Maturi? How do you usually answer this question? If you know maybe you just run into someone that you don't really know, or you know you or kind of someone kind of as we I don't know if you have coffee afterwards, but you know, kind of you bump into someone and they kind of ask you, How are you? 
what do you lead with? Do you kind of say, I'm okay? Kind of, at heart goed. You know, do you just try and get out of the question? Kind of, no, I'm, I'm just, you don't need to know how I am. Or, I don't know, for me, I, th- I think I had this realization a couple of years ago that I always answered this question in one of three ways. I either said, I'm tired, uh, with two young children, that is a fact of life, um, or I'm busy, or I'm a bit stressed. And these are the kind of things that kind of kept coming up when people asked me this question. And I started to reflect on, is this the way? Is this the way that my life should be? Is this the overwhelming emotion that I should be communicating to others? And I wonder for you, kind of, have you used any of these words recently to describe how you're doing? Because right now, we're kind of, hopefully, God willing, at the end, the tail end of a pandemic, it's been nearly two years of constant change, constant struggle, and quite a lot of stress for many of us. So we're living through this stressful period. There is greater stresses than we've probably many of us faced in our lives. And, but we're not, kind of, we didn't start off at kind of super chill either. Many of us were already living very busy lives. In fact, being busy was kind of this badge, this badge of honor, kind of, hey, look at me, I'm busy. You know, it was something that you could be proud of. But I've seen the shift over the last couple of years that busyness is not just kind of something to be proud of anymore, a sign that you're, you're working hard or you're doing all the things that are required of you. It's almost now an expectation. And so I just want to start off by giving us an insight into the age that we live in. Uh, this is kind of one of my favorite things to do. I, I like to look at the world. I like to analyze it. I like to break it up and kind of look under the surface and ask, what's actually going on here? What's underneath? How, how, what are the forces at play in this world that we're living in? And how can we as followers of Jesus respond to that? Jesus invites us to live differently. And so how is the world shaping me in an opposite way? Paul calls it the pattern of this world. And if we're blind and if we ignore it, then we'll just end up following it. So I just want to bring out what, how we are being patterned by the world that we live in, which is this restless age. And if I offered you rest, kind of a two-week paid vacation in Aruba, how many of you would take it? That's surprisingly, only two people would take up that offer. Ultimately, underneath this feeling of rest, kind of the feeling of rest, though, kind of as the Hebrews would call it, the Jewish people, shalom, is this idea that I am okay. Deep down, the sense in your inner being, I am okay. I'm okay. But in a restless age, the overwhelming sensation that we have is, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. There is this need to find this okayness again. 
So why are we not okay? Why is the overwhelming feeling of our age one of not being at rest, not being okay with ourselves? So I'm going to take you through five different elements, and they all begin with C. So I have, I've tried very hard to get all these things to match with the same letter because that's good preaching, right? Uh, and they're all related to kind of how we build up this pressure, sense of stress and anxiety right now. The first one is competition. We live in a, we live in a Western state, uh, which is built on kind of the capitalism. Capitalism is all about competition. It's a good thing, and competition is based upon that the fact that there's only a limited amount of resources, and we have to try and get them. You know, so uh, the Winter Olympics is coming up, right? And so you imagine that you are on the start line of, I don't know, I don't really don't know any winter sports, but something with sticks going downhill. Um, how many prizes are there? How many first places are there? How many gold medals are there in your event? There is one. Now, everyone who goes to the Olympics, I imagine, really deep down wants to win the gold medal, right? You... you I mean, you can say, oh, I, I just want to take part. It's a wonderful privilege. But deep down, I think most of them really want to win. But there's only one medal, and they're going to have to fight for it. But we live in this entire world where it's about competition. We're all competing with one another for what feels like limited resources. And so in this situation, there's always this tension, this anxiety, that we, we, we need to be on our game. We need to be doing our best. We need to put our best performance in, or else we're not going to get the result that we want. You know, if I strolled up to the kind of start line of the 100-meter sprint and I was just kind of super relaxed, kind of, I don't think I would do very well. I think that's not what you need in that moment. You need kind of to be really tense, to be ready, to be focused. And so this is the idea that we're in this world that is in competition we're forced to compete with one another, and this leads to this pressure. The second C is connectivity. When was the last time you checked your smartphone? Was it in the last half an hour? Anyone want to uh, admit to that? No, we, we live in this world where we are connected 24-7. You know, we can communicate with people at the other side of the world whenever we want. And because there is the ability, that often leads to the expectation. You know, how many times have you sent a work email in the evening when you're not getting paid for it? And for how many of you would respond that, actually, that's expected of me? You know, if I didn't do that, then I'd get in trouble. It's just part of the system that we're part of. Or, you know, have you ever sent a... WhatsApp message or Telegram or Signal or is there any more? Facebook Messenger, etc. And you know, they have these ticks, right? You get one tick when the message has been sent to the server, you get the second tick when it's been received on their phone, and then there's this magic moment where they turn blue or they, they change color 
whatever the color is. And this informs you that the person has received and read your message. And then the clock starts to tick, 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 tick. Are they going to respond? They've seen it. Why are they not responding? And then you start to get kind of all stressed and frustrated with them. Why are they not responding? And you can imagine that this kind of environment is not very relaxed. Again, it leads to this stress and pressure. What else do we have to face in our world? We have too many good choices. Have you heard of FOMO? FOMO, fear of missing out. And there's a a diagnosis which is uh, choice anxiety. You can get anxious about having too many choices in your life. Maybe this is in the field of education. You know, I've just finished my bachelor's degree, and now I have the choice of 67 master's programs with 300 different modules I could do. I need to get it right. I need to make the best choices so I can get to where I want in my career. And if I, if I make the wrong mistake, where am I going to end up? And this leads us, especially those of us like me who are inclined to want to do everything perfectly the whole time, it leads us to a lot of choice. I've got to make the best decision. What does that look like? The next one, the next C, is control. The kind of philosophy of our world is that there is no overriding uh, person force behind what happens in the world. It's all random. It's all chance. It's survival of the fittest. And therefore, you've got to take care of yourself because you're the only one who's looking after you. And this is the message that kind of gets broadcast at us every day. And this need to control can kind of creep into our lives as well. Even though we would say we're Christians, even though we would say, I believe God is in control of my life, Everything that happens, you know, he works all things for the good. Everyone else is trying to control, so we try. We also can get sucked into this as well. And lastly, consumption. We all know that the world is a, follows consumerism. You know, this idea that I am empty, I need to consume things to fill myself. But it doesn't actually work. What it ends up doing is we consume things and they leave us empty which feel that we need to then get more. And so we always have this sense of it's not working. This system isn't working for me, which adds to our stress. So this is kind of a little bit of a picture of where we are at. And I've got a quote that I think sums this up nicely. Uh, I don't know if many of you are into... uh, French um, dance music, but I got a nice quote here from Daft Punk, who some of you may have heard of. And they wrote a song, I think, probably about ten years ago now. So th- this has been going on for some time, and they, and in it, so it says, "Work it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger, more than ever, hour after hour, work is never over." I love this quote because it is the philosophy of the age that we live in. We just need to try harder. We just need to do it better, do it faster, and it's going to be okay for us. You know, work is never 
over. There's no point where we get to where we can say, now I can rest. But the good news is for all of you that are listening to this this morning that Jesus has something else for us. He invites us firstly into his own heart. He invites us to come to him. This is the start point for any rest. But he doesn't just invite us to come and hang out with him, which is great. He also wants to teach us how to live. He invites us into a new lifestyle, a new way of life. The first Christians were called followers of the way. Jesus taught the way, a way of life that he wanted us to follow him. So let's look again at the central passage that I want us to reflect on a little bit. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty. I'll read it again for you. Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's just read that again. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first thing that I want to say about this is the importance of Jesus' heart in all of this. Because my experience of following Jesus has been one of getting Jesus' heart quite wrong. So I just want to ask you the question, if you can think back to when you started following Jesus, did Jesus make it better or worse? (laughs) Because if we misunderstand his heart towards us, then following Jesus can be quite difficult if we don't get it. Because all these high expectations that we have in the world around us, you know, everything needs to be done well. You know, especially here in the Netherlands, well, there's, there's always a constant improvement drive. You know, you can never cycle the same way and delve twice because the route that you're you would have taken normally has been dug up and they're trying to improve it. So high expectations, when you bring God into the picture, can become impossible expectations. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, do all things for the glory of God. Well, I was trying to do things well, but now I have to do them for the glory of God. And the glory of God is magnificent, it's great, it's huge. How am I ever going to live up to that? And instead of actually making it more restful, it can make it more difficult. And what about kind of the fact that James tells us that if we know what to do and we don't do it, then it's sin. If we misunderstand this, if we misunderstand God's heart, then there's so many good things we could be doing right now. And I'm here, sat in church, listening to someone. 
I could be going to help the poor. I could be selling my house and giving it all away. What? And, you know, you can imagine there's all these things that can create extra anxiety. And finally, we all know, or I imagine that all of you know, that a lot of the coping mechanisms that our world uses to kind of medicate itself against this anxiety are things that, as followers of Jesus, we need to be saying no to. The drugs, the sex, the alcohol, all ways that people kind of push away and reduce this anxiety and this pressure that they feel. But we're told that there shouldn't be a hint of these things among us as Christians. And I really believe that God doesn't desire to make it harder for us. He invites us into his rest. But the only foundation for finding rest is to really understand and to know God's heart for us, for you. To understand his heart. God's heart is who he is when no one else is looking. It's who he is in his innermost being. And Jesus in this passage gives us something unique. He gives us a view and an insight into who he is, kind of when he's on his own, when no one's bothering him, kind of what his disposition is, what his nature is. And he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle. I'm not demanding. I'm not forceful. I'm not going to go around making you do things. I'm gentle. And humble. I'm humble in heart. You don't need to get it all together before you come to me. You don't need to perform in my presence. You can just come to me as you are. I'm humble. I don't need you to pretend to be someone else. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Now, as so often in the scriptures, we see two things mirrored together. We see in this passage Jesus' promise, I will give you rest. So come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. Jesus promising that God will act sovereignly to give you rest as you come to him. It's a promise. All you have to do is come, and he will give you rest. But then he goes on to say, learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. We see these two things joined together. This need to come to Jesus, but also to learn from Jesus. And what is it that Jesus wants us to learn? He wants us to understand a new lifestyle, a different way of living, a new rhythm for our souls. And the picture he uses is that of a yoke. And for those of you that have not done any farming in an ancient context, in a while, I'll give you an insight into what this is. So, it is a bar, a piece of wood, usually, that would strap two oxen together. 
And the way that it would work is uh, if you had a new ox, a young ox that had grown up and was now big enough and strong enough to get involved in the work, they would take it and they would strap it via this yoke to an older ox. And this old, older ox had been doing this for years. It knew how it worked. It could walk in a straight line. Because you don't want to plow like this. It's not very helpful. You want to plow in a straight line. And if you just put the young ox with another young ox, it would kind of just wander around and you'd end up with a horrible mess. So you have this old ox that has been taught how to plow, been taught to plow straight. And you take the young ox and you attach it via this really strong and sturdy bar. So that even though the young ox may want to go over there because it sees an interesting plant that it wants to eat, it can't because it's strapped to this other ox that wants to go straight. And so this is the idea. Jesus is saying, come to me, attach yourself to me. Attach yourself to me and walk with me. And in that process, you will learn how to live your life. You learn how to do the work that I have for you. You know, he's using a metaphor that's all about work. You know, he's not talking about kind of rest as in having a nap. He's talking about a lifestyle that is restful. That is not one of being burnt out and tired. Now he says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. And because there is work involved, I don't want you to misunderstand this word. The Greek word is Christos, which is suspiciously like Christos, which is the word for Christ or Messiah. I'll leave that one in the air. You can think about that later. Um, this word is translated in different ways throughout the New Testament. It's translated as good in 1 Peter 2.3. Now you've tasted that the Lord is good. It's translated as kind in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It's also translated as kindness in Romans 2.4, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And this one is, the last one's probably my favorite, it's Jesus talking about new wine and old wine. And he says, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for the old is better. The old is kinder, the old is good. Do you get the picture of this word? You get the picture that this is not easy as in not difficult, because that's one meaning of the word easy. It's easy as in easy fitting. It's easy as in kind. As in, you know, if you put it on, it doesn't rub your shoulders, it's got some nice padding. It's comfortable to wear. So, the question that I want you to reflect on is, is your current lifestyle, and by that I mean the way that you live your life, from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, the things that you do, the moments that you have, breakfast, lunch, dinner, every single tiny moment throughout the day, is this lifestyle kind to your soul? Is it kind to you? Is it gentle on you? Does it fit you? 
does it fit? Or does it feel like you're living someone else's life? Do you feel like you're being forced into a shape that isn't your shape? Because if you are, then you're not carrying Jesus' yoke. Because Jesus' yoke is easy. It's kind. It's gentle. And that means the good news is that he's inviting you to give up some of those things and follow him. Now, I also want to bring up another quote from Jesus, which I think fits nicely at this point. It's from Mark 8.36. And Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And so often we read this in terms of eternal life. But I was reading through this and I felt, actually there's more to this. You know, we're given a choice every day. You know, we we so often stand at those crossroads where we can gain something. Maybe it's uh, an achievement. Maybe it's uh, some getting in someone's good books, getting someone's praise. But we know if we make this choice that actually it's going to cost us our soul. It's going to cost us our rest. And so this isn't necessarily about following Jesus or not. This is almost something for every single decision that we make. Is this being kind to my soul? Is this taking care of my soul or not? So, let's look back at what I talked about our age before. It's an age of anxiety. But Jesus wants you to have an age of rest instead. He invites you to step out of competition. He invites you to slow down. When the world's telling you to push harder, do you have the will to stop? Do we find the Sabbath? Do we step out of this system, this treadmill of performance? He invites us to disconnect. Jesus, in the first century, without smartphones, without the internet, without telephones, he spent a lot of time getting out into the wilderness, into the eros, to be alone with God. And he didn't have all the stuff to put up with that we do. And he was the son of God without sin and perfect. So how much more do we need to disconnect? To reconnect with ourselves and our souls and God? Instead of being subject to all these choices and possibilities, how about we let his word and his scripture shape us? Instead of battling to be in control of everything, how do we learn to surrender? As Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And instead of kind of trying to fill ourselves with all these products in the world, Amazon shopping and Netflix, 
How about instead we follow his advice of pouring ourselves out in service of others? Because these are the things that Jesus did. These were his lifestyle. And he asked us to learn from him. He asked us to understand that he's not demanding. He's not exacting. He's gentle and he's humble. And if we come alongside him, he's going to teach us how to do things. And because Jesus is okay, you know, reading the Gospels, you don't get the sense that Jesus was ever, ever really that stressed. He was a man at peace with himself. Jesus has this okayness, this rest. And because Jesus is okay, all of us that follow him can be okay too. Jesus is okay. You can be okay too. So I'd love us to take a couple of minutes to just sit in silence, just to reflect on this, to ask God to show us how we are to respond. I've said many things. Some of us, I feel, need to learn to come to Jesus. Our picture of who he is needs to be challenged and changed. We need to see that he is gentle and humble in heart. We can strip away the shame that stops us coming and come and sit with him with all our baggage, with all our failure, with all the things about ourselves that we'd rather he didn't know. Because he already knows them. And he's humble. So he will happily have us beside him. There's also some of us who need to learn from Jesus. There's ways that we are more shaped by the pattern of this world. Competition. Connectivity. Control. Whichever it is. And we need to learn from him a new way. So let me pray. Why don't we just bow our heads. Give ourselves and each other the space to meet with God. Yeah, Father God, thank you that you hear by your Holy Spirit. That he is our guide, our comforter. The one that strengthens us. He is the advocate. And I ask you to come help us to understand how to respond to your word. We want to come to you, Jesus. We want to come to you. We believe that you will give us rest. Holy Spirit, I ask that you pour out this rest into our hearts right now. This peace. The blood of Christ has brought us peace. We have peace with God. We can have peace with ourselves. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd show us 
where you are inviting us to take you by the hand and to try something new. This invitation into new life. This opportunity to disconnect. This opportunity to surrender. This opportunity to serve. Whatever it is, Father, you know our hearts. You know what we need, even before we ask. Help us.